Well, good morning. Good morning. I was just thinking, in all my times that I've come to San Ramon Valley, that's the first time I've heard Sylvia sing. That was a treat. Praise the Lord. It sounds like there's even a little bit of a country western sound in her voice. I could hear her doing a gospel in country western. Ponder, that's an amazing thought that the Lord grew the tree that he knew would become the rugged cross. It's amazing. Well, you know, it's good to be here this morning. I was feeling well until I came here, and then I heard of all your sickness, so... If you don't mind, I'm just going to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 17. It was good coming in over the hills today from Castor Valley and seeing the Lord is turning those hills green again. It's beautiful to see that. Extra treat saw, Mike, and you can appreciate this, I saw Valley Engine 31 driving down the street, so that was another thrill as well. Every time I see a fire engine, I still get excited, so that hasn't come out of me yet. Now, before we turn and read this passage of scripture about the ten who were healed of leprosy, which the theme of the message is this morning is the thankful leper. I want to bridge a little bit after that into the whole subject of how do we give thanks to God? Understanding First Thessalonians 5:18 as a wrapping up to the morning. But if you were, if somebody was to say to you, "Are you a, are you a thankful, a grateful Christian?" How would you answer that? Or for those who know you best, if you're married, or if you got a mother or father or brother or sister or somebody that just knows you really well, would they say that your life as a believer is characterized? with a spirit of thankfulness and gratefulness that just really comes from within and just flows out of your mouth and how you speak? Or are you somebody that maybe subscribes more often than not to some of the laws of Murphy's Law? I'm sure you've heard of that, have you? I'm going to read you just a couple of them. I wonder if you think like this ever. Nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you think. If anything can go wrong, it will. Do you think like that? Or do you think a day without a crisis is a total loss? The other line always moves faster. Inside every large problem is a series of small problems struggling to get out. 90% of everything is crud. Friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. The light at the end of the tunnel is the headlamp of an oncoming train. Do you think like that this morning? I hope not. This passage in Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 11, really is one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. Serves as a good reminder to us who know Jesus Christ, how the Lord has delivered us, and how he appreciates thankfulness. And if you don't know Christ this morning, I hope you'll pay real close attention to this wonderful passage of Scripture. So let's just read it together. Luke 17, verse, starting with verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went... They were cleansed. 
One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. May God bless his word to us this morning. Now, when you look at verses 11 to 13 and you think about this passage, if you were to think about it in the mind of, the, of this Samaritan leper, it was probably just another day, nothing special about it. The Samaritan leper threw open his covering, the tent maybe that he'd been sleeping in. Because he was a Samaritan, he had probably some distance from the other nine who were Jews. Although the interesting thing was, is the fact that they all had leprosy actually had them having more in common of even having to be together than they normally would because the two despised each other. The Jew despised the Samaritan. But probably somehow and in some way they were together, though I can imagine that this Samaritan was still distant to some extent from the Jews who had leprosy. And even though they had the same affliction that he had, when they looked at him, if history was any test as to how this day went, probably they grumbled and murmured at him and just looked away. Because he was, even though a leper, a Samaritan. He was the most hated of the hated. The most exiled of the exiled. And sitting outside, if this was the case, if you could imagine this, that he was sitting outside the circle of where the other nine were, he could hear maybe just bits and pieces of the conversation that they were talking about. You know what it's like when you're in a group and you're not part of it, and you can kind of hear just little bits and pieces of what somebody is saying, but you can't really get the whole thing and understand what they're talking about. But he could get bits and pieces of the fact that they were talking about that there was this carpenter from Nazareth, and he was making claims that he was the Messiah. And they were hearing in their situation as offers, they were hearing things, maybe unconfirmed reports, that this man had been doing some amazing miracles. And this was the, the scuttlebutt. This is what they were talking about, probably like so many other people in the region. And later, the Samaritan noticed that all of a sudden the others started to rush off toward the road. And being curious, he too went and followed after them. And probably, as you can imagine, if they, whatever he thought was going on, like when something exciting is happening, your heart just kind of starts to stir, starts to skip a beat. And as he got closer and, and closer, as he could see in his condition, he, he saw that people were saying, the carpenter is here. At first glance, looking at all of these people and, and seeing that there was this crowd coming, he really couldn't see anything different about this man, if you could imagine it that way. But then his stare fell upon one of the people in the crowd, and he found that he couldn't look away as he looked at this particular man. The interesting thing about him was is that he had ordinary flesh, but it radiated a purity and perfection 
that almost made the Samaritan forget that eternal itch that he had in burn of his own body being a leper. And he stood out, as it says in the verse, at a distance. And out in a loud voice called out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. This is what the lepers were shouting to the Lord. If you were in their situation, it wouldn't make a lot of sense, humanly speaking, to understand verse 14. Let's look at it again. Because it says that when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. They really couldn't understand Jesus' reply to that. They must have thought to themselves, did he just tell us to go show ourselves to the priests? They must have thought, the priests won't see us. We are unclean. We're lepers. They will only, in our leper state, send us away. Or more likely, if they saw us, they will run away themselves as they see us in our leopard state approaching. The law said to go show yourselves to the priests in Leviticus, if you were to read through that, when they were clean. In this case, they're thinking, we're still lepers. But when he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests, credit to them, they did that. It says, and they went. Man, can you imagine... There were different forms of leprosy. Some had almost like a psoriasis condition. And there were other forms of leprosy that were the fatal type of disease that ate away at the skin. I was looking on the Internet during the week at some of the different types of leprosy. Thank God there's a cure for that today. But in this day, when you were a leper, it just ate away at your flesh, at the soles of your feet. Um, your nerve endings, some, you would go numb. You sometimes uh, would feel pain in certain parts of your body, not in other parts. It was a horrific disease. And if you can imagine the condition that these men had, that as the lepers were walking, it hurt. Just having the sandals around the, maybe the parts of their flesh that were eating away from this condition made it tough to hardly move at all. At some point they became, though, amazingly enough, that the pain that they experienced and the condition of their body, maybe as they rolled their sleeves, all of a sudden, all of this disfiguration, all of this ugliness of their flesh, all of the pain, whatever that was, wherever in their body that they were feeling, was disappearing. Can you imagine that? You have a major uh, sore or wound on your body. It's there. And all of a sudden, you're looking at it and it's disappearing before your very eyes. This isn't science fiction. This is what the healer did, the master healer in the Gospel of Luke. Sometimes the Bible says when he would touch a leper. In this situation, he didn't touch them. He just said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine as you're walking down the road and, and you're, maybe you're struggling and you're, and you're walking and, and all of the pain and you're seeing all of this disfiguration... And all of a sudden, you look and you're cleaning and you imagine, okay, I've got to go show myself to the priest. Do you think you'd kind of just, you know, walk like this to the priest? At that point, you probably are so excited, you're probably jumping up and down in the air and you're on a mad dash to the priest. They're running an exclamation to show the priest that they've been cleansed. I can imagine that who knows what was coming out of their mouth, what would be coming out of yours. I imagine one word that for sure would be coming out of my mouth would be clean, 
I'm clean. Cleansed. Because you see, when you had that kind of condition, it was almost like you were despised as well. It wasn't just that you were a poor person, you've got leprosy. It was, it was like, ooh. You know, when you look at something. I was watching a lady on television the other day who, unfortunately, is an anorexic. And um, they've been showing her on this program. She used to be a news reporter. And she got this condition some time ago, and she's down to like 55 pounds. And I was watching her, and they're actually going through this healing where they're going to try and bring her back to where she can get back to eating. But to watch this woman last night looked like somebody in the Holocaust. Really, it was that bad. But to look at it, it was almost hard to look. You almost want to look sideways at this television at her. I imagine that these lepers must have been like that too, maybe, in some way, shape, or form, to where it was so disgusting. And in, and in a sense, then, to see that I've been clean, I've been cleansed, I've been healed. I wonder what those men did when they went to the priests. I presume the text doesn't tell us, but more than likely they went. And did they, at that point then, just resume their lives prior to their leprous state, just go back on as whatever they were doing before. The text doesn't tell us. There's no indication. But you wonder. Well, when we read verses 15 again, there's a difference, though, with, as we know, if you know the story well, there's a difference with one of the ten. Because it says in verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. He came back. Praising God. For him, his business wasn't finished. He turned back and he said, you know, I want to approach this healer. And when he approached him, no movie's picture could catch the drama, as I'm sure there was, because it says that he fell to the ground. He threw himself. Threw himself. It's not just even a, you know, a composed kind of bending down. This man threw himself at his feet, weeping, thanking Jesus and praising God. Thanking him, praising God. Imagine the tears just just pouring off his eyelids. So excited, so grateful. The Lord says about this man in verse 17, he says, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? It's not that the Lord didn't know the answer to that. He knows all things. He raised it as a question to make the point. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Or as another translation, or as the Greek says, your faith has healed you, has saved you. By turning back to the Lord Jesus in gratitude, he gained something that he probably had no idea and didn't expect by going back to thank him. He gained the Lord himself. He gained Jesus Christ. He returned to the source of his miracle, the Lord Jesus, and in doing so received the greatest miracle of all. And I trust you've received that greatest miracle of all, salvation. He was saved at that moment as he went back to the Lord. 
And you know, when you read this passage of Scripture, I'm sure it's turning in your mind. You probably have thought about this before. But it must be just kind of spinning in your mind that there's so many wonderful analogies of us in this passage of Scripture. We, the Bible describes us, before we knew Jesus Christ, were described as unclean. You know, we take quite a bit of effort of keeping ourselves physically clean, I trust, don't we? You know, when I walk in here, I didn't really smell any odors of any unpleasant type. To be perfectly honest with you, everyone smells clean. Probably your ritual is, is in the morning, you probably have showered or washed or bathed, if not last night, yesterday. I hope if not last night or this morning, maybe the day before. And you now we're stretching it a little bit if we've got to go to Thursday now. But you make an effort to keep yourself clean. A couple of weeks ago on a Saturday night, I was at West County Jail in Contra Costa County out there in Richmond. We were showing a Christian video to the prisoners at West County Jail. There were about um, 150 men that came. Men are separated in one section, and they were watching a video of about a man who, uh, true life story, was a, was a gangster. He was part of the mob, and he became a Christian about 20 years ago. And a wonderful testimony of what this man went through the time he served in prison and how he was wondrously and gloriously saved. And the, the, uh, the ladies were in another uh, section. They're separated. And there were some ladies from our church that were with them showing the same video. And I have to be honest with you, uh, when we went for a little bit of prep training the week before, they said, you know, if, uh, if a fight breaks out and there has been some trouble lately, um, you have to just lean up against the wall um, because that way you won't get maced or get confused in the, in the riot if a riot breaks out. And there had been a few recently. They told us certain colors to wear and uh, not to wear. That would be more identified with the inmates. And they said, you know, there's, there's only one door as well to get out. And I'm starting to think, why did I, why did I sign up for this, you know? <laughs> I, I, my wife was with me, and I said, how are you doing? She goes, I'm nervous. <laughs> so, you know, we kind of, I told a few people at work at the police department what I was doing during the week, and they looked at me like I was a fool, as somebody probably who doesn't understand might think. And it seemed a little bit of a contradiction, somebody in my line of work going into this location. And, of course, I didn't tell them anything of what I did. And you weren't to give them your last name. You weren't to take anything and blah, blah, all this. But there was another interesting thing they said. They said, when you, when you go there, and these are from people who are experienced, chaplains. They said, don't put your hands in your mouth or touch any part of your, your nostrils or any part to where you could get infected. And they said, um, I said, well, what, are we to, can we hug uh, a prisoner? And they said, they don't really frown against that. The, the guards don't really like you to do that. Well, you know, are we to shake hands? And they said, well, yeah, you can do that. I have to be honest, as, the, as these, we got there and there was about 15 of us and there was all these different men of all different walks of life. And some of them, you know, I had a chance to chat with and you just say, you know, how long are you in here for? And they said, about seven years. And this one guy was about 21 and he's going to Quentin soon, and I thought, you know, I didn't ask him what he did, but some of these guys have obviously done some stuff that if probably in a moment of time, if they could just rewind the clock, wouldn't have happened. But anyway, they're there. And as they would stick out their hand to shake my hand, you know, I have to be honest, it was an issue where I was saying, okay, you know, do I really want to do this, you know? And so, sure, shook their hand, shook their hand, shook their hands. And it really reminded me, you know, that the Lord Jesus Christ here he is, God, perfect God, in the flesh, 
He comes down to earth, and he's, and he's mingling, and he's mixing. Now, in this passage of Scripture with the lepers, he didn't. But in another passage, he did touch a leper. Nobody else would do that. And not that in any way I'm equating them to, to lepers, to these dear men that we were with and we were praying for, and trust that some of them will come to the Savior as a result of this video. But afterwards, they said, now you really should go wash your hands because you don't know where their hands have been. And I don't need to get more specific with that. And man, when I went into that sink, I, I was washing my hands, you know, harder than I probably ever have. And they said, you know, use disinfectant. And it makes you realize that when you're in a restaurant, you sure hope somebody's washing their hands before they're cooking your food, don't you? I understand that there's some uh, study that came out recently that a number of people have been infected when they've gone to the doctor because they're finding that some doctors aren't washing their hands after they've treated another patient. So I'm sure you're all going to go home today now and just after you've touched everybody, you're going to wash your hands, you know. <laughs> Get out those alcohol swipes, you know. And Bible says, as far as how God sees us spiritually, he says all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's what Isaiah says. And Isaiah himself went and saw this in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. He was very conscious of his uncleanliness as far as in his morality, as far as how God sees him. Jeremiah, there's a fabulous verse that I always have appreciated. He says, although you wash yourself with soda, think of it as soap, or like baking soda, and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. Jeremiah 2, 22. Before you were a believer... Maybe you were conscious of this. It's almost like, you know, you're getting that bar of soap and you're just trying to scrub yourself up. You're trying to clean yourself up before God. You're doing everything you can to try and get into his presence in your condition by cleaning up your act, by doing the best you can, whatever it is, good works, you name it. And yet the Bible says that the stain of your guilt is still before me because good works cannot wash away your sin. Not only were we unclean in our condition prior to becoming Christians, but we were also at a distance too, weren't we? People who had leprosy were required to try and stay away from other people. And they had to announce, they had to announce that if they were coming in, uh, in connection with where people were, that they were unclean. They had to announce that. I don't know how exactly they would say it. Can you imagine that? You're in a group of people. And you're very self-conscious about that. We're in a crowd. Imagine if you're walking with a group of people and you're having to somehow announce to the rest of this crowd that what your condition is. That would be tough. They had to. In most examples, they had to stay far away. Ephesians 2 talks about and describes us as being far away without Christ. You know, this is an interesting thing. We think... So many people think that when you're born into this world that you're, you're right there with God. And yet the Bible says that, you know, we're born in sin. And immediately out the chute, day one, 
We're sinners. Conceived in sin. And we're far away from God. We can go to all, track, track it all the way back to Adam and Eve. And people do a number of things to try and get closer. But Isaiah 59 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. I trust you can remember the day, or at least probably the time in your life, when, when that became clear to you. That it's, you know, your sin. It's a big deal. Because it's separating you from a holy and just and righteous God. I remember when I heard that when I was about 17 years old. And the thought is, is what am I to do? What am I going to do? I'm not going to stop sinning. And how am I going to get close to this holy God? Also, the Bible describes not only our condition as being what our condition was in being at a distance from God, being unclean, but also without hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And our cry, like the lepers in verse 17, or sorry, chapter 17 of Luke, in verse 13, Jesus, Master, wonderful titles, Have pity on us. In other words, have mercy on us. What I like about that was it's sincere. Jeremiah 29 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. They were humble, they didn't demand their rights. They didn't say, you know what? We don't deserve this leprosy. We don't know why we got it in the first place. It's not fair. It's unjust. They simply pled for mercy. And you and I, we did that too, didn't we? We, we just, in whatever way we said it, we, we understood it and we meant it with our heart. We just begged the Lord God for mercy to save our sorry souls. If you don't know Christ today, it's really that simple. The devil has confused it. The world's religions have complicated it. But you're in your situation, in your sinful state, God wants you to beg for mercy and be saved by the cleansed blood of Jesus Christ that Sylvia sung about today on that cross that was spilled. I love this verse in Micah 7:18 in the Old Testament. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. And praise God for this. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. That's our God today. He delights to show mercy. And they also, what I like about this very simple prayer in Luke chapter 17 was, is they went to the right person. They went to Jesus, the carpenter himself. And the Bible says that I am the way, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. 
Matthew 1.21 said, when they saw Jesus, they said that this man, he will save people from their sins. He will save people from their sins. And that's the message we've got to get out. It's not anybody else. It's not some church. It's not some, some code, some way of living. It's the man, the perfect God-man, Jesus himself. He's the one who saves people from their sins. And praise God for that today. And I love what he says here as well. It's very, not only does he, do they go to the right person, but then the very wonderful words of Jesus. He just simply tells them when he saw them, and thank God today that we have a God who sees us. And he saw them. He's interested. He loves you. He loves me. And he, he saw them and he tells them simply, go. Other times in scripture, he uses other words. He uses the words, come. He says, hear. He says, look. He says, receive. It all carries the same idea. They obeyed what he said. And as they went, they were cleansed. And you know what? You heard the words of God. And what your responsibility in mind was, was to obey him. And follow after him. And be gloriously and wonderfully saved. Well, you know, as we approach this, this coming wonderful season that we're, we're quickly in now. I don't know where this year has gone. Into mid-November now. What is the responsibility for you and I as Christians? It really is that we don't be the ones like that follow Murphy's Law. But we're the type, and we should be more than anyone else, those who are, are giving thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and I want to finish just on this one verse and give some thought to this verse as we wrap up. And you can turn to it as a very short verse. Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica. Let's just back up to 16. He says, be joyful always. Pray continually. In verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, the Lord God is magnified and glorified. And he's pleased when his children give him thanks, huh? He's pleased. You think of it as a parent. You're pleased when your kids give thanks to you for something. Like I was hearing today. Very grateful and thankful people who are writing it and expressing their thanks. What an example. That's good. The psalmist said in Psalm 69:30, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 40, in regards to giving thanks, two areas. First, our salvation. It seems like a no-brainer, but we should be like that, that uh, Samaritan leper. The psalmist says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And that uncleaned, unclean state that we were in, that muddy state, that slimy pit, the trap of the enemy, he lifted us out of that. He lifted us out of that because he lifted up his son on that cross for us. So we wouldn't have to face that. And you and I can shout today, we're clean if we know Christ. We're clean. No more dirt. No more unforgiven sin that is separating us from a God who loves us. But then what about in not only our salvation, you say, yeah, but what about in our circumstances? Paul says here, in everything, give thanks. 
Now, to be honest with you, if you're one of these people that likes to read a Bible verse and have it say exactly what you're to do, so there's no confusion, when you read this, you might say, well, you know, I, I wish he'd said, give thanks. Just left it at that. But he doesn't say that. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. God wants every believer to express gratitude. It was never meant that you and I just celebrate um, this time of year. And this time of year, Thanksgiving season, the month of November, that's the month we give, we give thanks, like so many who do. It was never meant to be seasonal, but it was meant to be as a way of life, how you and I live each day, giving thanks. I think we need to understand, though, with the rest of Scripture, that God understands, God understands that we don't always feel grateful. But thanking Him has nothing to do with feelings. It's an act of the will. I don't wake up every day feeling thankful. But as an act of the will, the Scripture commands me to do so. We don't struggle thanking God for the good things, do we? I doubt it. I'm sure if you were to go to bed tonight and you've had just a great day today, everything's gone really well. Good message. Good lunch. Yeah. You know, whatever else. You go to bed and you just say, you know, I I am thankful, Lord. Today's a good day. Only on Monday something may happen in your life and you're going to say, and I might say, why, God? Why did you allow this to happen? It's easy to thank God for the new job, but it's maybe more difficult to praise him when we lose it. You might be saying when you read Ephesians 5.18, why and how can I thank him when there is so much pain in my life. How, how can I do that? How, how can God expect me to do that? There's a number of families today who have lost more soldiers in Iraq as a result of that helicopter crash yesterday. We were traveling back from uh, seeing a movie yesterday and there was an auto accident on 580. And I read in the paper today, I knew there had been a wreck just based on the traffic flow. And a 20-year-old woman was killed instantly right at that spot on 580 near 680. And there's a family today that's heart is breaking. I, took a, I listened to a phone call uh, last week from a, a woman. In all my 12, 13 years in dispatching, I've never heard a woman so distraught and so uh, uncontrollably um, hysterical because she had just walked in and her husband had just killed himself. I've never heard a phone call with so much pain in all my life. How does, if that woman, or for any of these people, and they're Christians today, and they read this verse, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What do they do? What do you do with those verses? As we close, I want to suggest a couple of things as we finish this morning. First of all, Thanksgiving, I I trust you have seen this in your own life. It has such a powerful impact on every aspect of the Christian life, doesn't it? 
expressing our thanks, and this is the wisdom of God, I believe, from this text of Scripture, why he writes, Paul writes this. A man, by the way, who certainly knew his share of grief and sorrow. Paul wasn't living in a glass house by any means. He says, and I believe this is so true, that when he tells us this, why he tells us this is because when we are thanking God, giving thanks in all circumstances, that we're talking to God. We're expressing thanks to God. We're talking to him, for starters. That's a good thing. We're staying in communication with him. And when we're in communication with him, it keeps us mindful of his presence. And the fact that you and I aren't alone in that hardship. Remember that verse of scripture, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't make sense in as far as the world would go, but spiritually speaking, there's this wonderful peace. And it lessens the anxiety as we communicate to him rather than having no one to talk to. You and I have got a wonderful God to speak to. Thanking him also motivates us to look for his purposes in our circumstance. And simply realizing that he has a purpose can take the edge off our pain and infuse us with strength for our weary heart and soul. Thanking God reminds us also of our constant dependence on him for everything. You know it and I know it that when we start to feel adequate in ourselves, when we start to think everything's okay and that we can handle matters without him, that's when we're in trouble. But when you and I feel helpless and we feel trapped, and we feel like there is nothing we can do other than go to him as our only hope, our rock. This is a good thing for us as we do that. Also, thanking God gives our witness, doesn't it, a powerful impact. Remember the story in Acts when Silas and Paul were in jail, that they started to pray and they started to sing. They were singing hymns and praising God. And it says in the passage of Scripture, The prisoners, I like this, were listening to them. I like that phrase. They were listening to them. When Jesus healed that demonic man and he wanted to go follow the Lord, the Lord told him, no, I want you to go back and I want want your family to see what I have done and that they would give glory to God. Thanking God gives our witness a powerful impact. But if you and I are known for being a bit of grumblers and murmurs and complainers, we're we're actually uh, kind of shooting ourselves in the foot as our testimony goes, aren't we? But thanking God, people are going to say, how do you give thanks to God? To the family that knows the heights, listening to their testimony, seeing their their countenance, seeing their, their ability to keep a joy in the Lord, thankful Trusting the Lord, looking to him for strength. What a testimony it is as we continue to uplift Jessica before the Lord. It's a powerful testimony. People wonder, how do you show gratitude during times of heartache and trial like that? And you know what our answer is? Because Christ has promised to be my sufficiency and meet every need. And you know what we tell people? We say he's doing just that. And he's enabling me moment by moment. 
So even though, brothers and sisters, that this initial passage of Scripture, you look at that instruction and you say, how could we? What is God talking about? How could Paul write that? We see that we have an all-wise God who told us in everything, give thanks. May God help us to be growing in our desire to have a heart that just burns for wanting to thank the Lord. He wants us to ask him things. He wants us to bring every request to him. But he also wants to hear from us that we're just regularly thanking him. Thanking him, not like a machine, not like a robot, but just like a, like a, um, a child who's just so incredibly grateful for something that their parents have done. As our Heavenly Father, that's what his desire is for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we want to tell you that we are incredibly uh, grateful and thankful to you. I cannot, Lord, imagine, and I know so many here can understand, I cannot imagine what life would be like without you. I cannot imagine living at a distance, not having hope, being still in a condition where my sins are before me and I'm going to be judged one day for my sin. I cannot imagine what it would be like to go to hell. And I am so incredibly grateful, Lord, that you have cleansed me by your precious blood, that you have saved me. And Lord, we want to bless your name. We want to cry out and thank you that we're clean. We're clean because of the blood of the Lamb that was shed for us. Lord, we pray that you will help us to live each day with an attitude of giving you thanks. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to remember that you are sovereign and that you are in control and that when you bring heartache and headache and trial into our lives, that, Lord, we'll understand your purposes, that, Lord, we'll understand that this is a good thing that you are allowing us to experience because, Lord, we learn so much more in the times of heartache than we do when times are going well. We pray that you'll help us, you'll comfort us, you'll encourage us this coming week, and you'll bless us. Again, we lift up Jessica to you, Lord. And we pray for healing. We pray for healing. We pray for Adel, Lord, as he goes this week for tests, that, Lord, you'll watch over him and bring about healing for his body as well. Lord, we commit ourselves to you now and ask for your blessing for the rest of this coming day. May we go out in joy, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.